Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. Government have been trying to say this has been unpredictable, but they need to be more creative and ambitious than that. I've had to go and set up a petition to try and get this over the line. I brought it to our minister. I brought it to the department. Nobody is listening. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96fm. Yeah, we'll be uh, obviously looking towards the funeral of Ashling Murphy. During the morning... Um, it's 11 o'clock in her local church in County Offaly is where that mass will take place. And there is, we believe, a live stream. And if it's possible for us to tap into that, then we will endeavour to do so. But much, much more besides to talk about, for example, the culling of deer. It continues. Uh, vegan campaigners will say, stop doing that. And let's all go vegan for any number of reasons. We'll look in on that one. Um, also, this is going around again. I saw this late last year and people began to take it off of their Facebook pages or delete it from their social media and block it from their social media. This is a thing that goes up. And in fairness to the Echo, it turned up on their social media last night and they deleted it and I hope they blocked it as well. This is this thing offering through Telegram, a Telegram account, offering to get you a COVID pass without a need for a vaccine. In other words, they want to give you a bogus, fake COVID pass. And they're around again, these guys. And you know what? Everyone is one step ahead of them. But they're there and they're still trying to promote their anti-vax nonsense. But I think that they're the king of the anti-vaxxers, Novax Djokovic. He got his answer from Australia at the weekend and he'll get his answer from France when he wants to go and play in Roland Garros. And he'll probably get his answer from the US as well because they won't let him in. Wimbledon might. We'll soon see. All that to come over the, the months ahead and indeed the days and the weeks ahead. The, the whole vaccine thing is just not going to go away anytime soon. But I want to start this morning with cycling. And there's a report in front of me here that says teenage girls are less likely to cycle to school due to challenges that are more than just 
pure infrastructure. This is a message that will be delivered uh, to an Oireachtas committee today by the Cork Cycling Campaign. Now, Justin Fleming is a member of the Cork Cycling Campaign or is an associate of the Cork Cycling Campaign, but joins me, Justin, I think, in a personal capacity. Uh, Good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. Thank you for having me on and for starting the show with cycling. Delighted to do so. It's important to many people that more of us would cycle. This is an interesting finding, though, that so many teenage girls afraid to take it up for any number of reasons. Yes, and, you know, it shouldn't surprise us really, PJ, because, you know, we have to look at cycling and transport from a systems perspective. And we need to, you know, we shouldn't be thinking of it in terms of individual choices, but rather what what's available, what's the what is the transport system like? Mm-hmm. And everything we're doing is is favouring roads, unfortunately, and driving so far. But we are making steps towards a more sustainable system. And I suppose it's great for me to be here to be able to advocate for that because mm-hmm. I think it's in all of our interests to, to have a, a, a greater mix of modes so that, you know, we have choices. Yeah. And if we so wish, we can walk or we can cycle or that there is a reliable bus service or rail service. Mm. So, Like when I was a teenager uh, in, it would have been the late 70s, early 80s, yeah, I would have cycled to school and I cycled to college when I was going to school and going to college. But when I think of it now, if I know I, my children have gone beyond their teenage years, I'd be very doubtful about them going to school or college by bike because the roads just aren't safe. And there's a figure here that will be put to politicians today by Con Donovan, who's a member of the group, who says that in 1986, 19,000 girls on average were cycling to secondary school every day. By 2006, this was down to 700, one twenty-seventh of that amount. And, you know, I think the truth, the, the, the same could be true for the wider population that we've just transformed in a negative way. And it's, it's imperative on us now that we transform right back and not, not back, but forward, because there's so many benefits to it. But it is imperative for many reasons, but not least of which is we're in an emergency. There's a climate emergency and we have to completely transform everything we do. And our transport system is one of the very biggest things that we need to change. And cycling is an easy solution, but we have to change, I think. You know, we we need to, as I said earlier, a systems level perspective, Mm. because it's not a case of how things are today and people who may be cycling today but rather, how can we get it to work best for everyone? Yeah. You, you, you lived in Dublin a little while uh, recently, Justin. Do you think they're doing a better job than us up there? And, and how might we learn from them if they are? Well, in fairness now, they're doing things well up there, but we're also making good strides down in Cork as well. So I point out to South Mel, for example, over the last two years, we've introduced a two-way bike, bike lane on the South Mel. And I think it's a very good standard because it's protected by parked cars. Mm. So there's actually a friend of mine who told me recently that he went with his two-year-old child and his wife 
and they cycled to the marina market and they used that new bike lane and it helped them to do their job. But I think one of the things that Dublin has that we're lacking is safer speed limits. Yeah, there's a 30 kilometre, there's a call for 30 kilometre limits around. And do you think that would help with cyclists? Oh, 100%. And not just cycling, but I think it's, I think it's essential for every one of us. Uh, the government published a new road safety strategy recently and the goal is to reduce road deaths in half and to do it in the next nine years. So speeding is a key ingredient in the mix and they're looking at changing the default speed limit in urban centres from 50 kilometres an hour to 30 kilometres an hour. Mm. And there is a huge impact as regards the likelihood of death if you're Certainly. hit by a car at those speeds. So Statistically, you have about three times the chance of surviving if, if the car is going under under 30 kilometres an hour. You know what I'm going to do, Just I'm going to leave it there for now and we'll see what comes from this uh, Rochtus Committee meeting today. We just wanted to draw uh, listeners' attention to the fact that it's happening. Justin, thank you. Justin Fleming's a member of the Cork Cycling Campaign. So many teenage girls not wanting to or just not cycling to school these days at a time where we're encouraging more people to cycle. It comes to my mind, and maybe I'm just speaking out of turn here, but given the news of the last six or seven days, comes to my mind that the Ashling Murphy story, the Ashling Murphy murder, would, would probably strike fear into an awful lot more young women. You know, they're not safe. They're just not. Is it safe to be even going around on a bike? And do you feel safe on a bike? around town? Do you feel safe for the reasons of road safety, speed, other road users? Are there enough cycle lanes? Are they safe to use? Or for women in particular, would you feel safe cycling through the city? 0818 96 96 96 Can we just talk the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie They can call me. Wayne Hilton. Wayne Hilton. The Week On Cork's 96FM. Join me Saturday mornings from 10. I've got four hours of the best music mix. Check out the Cork Weekend Survey. Have a go at the Wayne Teaser question. There's the latest celebrity goss. A look at what's happening around town. And we'll keep you up to date with all your essential Cork news. Wayne Hilton. Saturdays, 10 a.m. With Newmarket Motors Volkswagen. Where you can test drive the full Volkswagen range. Including the all-electric ID3 and ID4. See newmarketvolkswagen.ie. On Cork's 96FM talking about the Ashling Murphy murder and of course the funeral taking place today. Then yesterday came the story from the courts of John Paul Hegarty a man from Castleview in Little Island who was jailed for seven years for subjecting his sister Nora to years of rape and sexual abuse uh, that began when she was just seven years of age and again a horrific case and a very brave woman Nora Hegarty uh, coming forward and waving her right to anonymity to speak up as she said herself for all the people out there in the same situation as me. Again people were saying last night seven years for all of what he did. Isn't it time to look at sentencing? Isn't it time to look at all of these kind of things? Well actually a motion is going to come before Cork City Council very soon on that very subject. It'll be brought by 
uh, Councillor Shane O'Callaghan, and I've been speaking to Shane about it. Well, Councillor Shane O'Callaghan, you're also a practising barrister in the courts, so explain the basis for this motion. What is the motion first and, and the basis for it? Well, well just before we start, um, PJ, I would like to uh, take the opportunity to express my, my deepest sympathy um, to Ashley Murphy and, and her family and her friends, and I can only, I can only imagine um, what they must be going through after after such a horrific, um, heartbreaking, you know, senseless thing happened to, you know, a young woman in the with her whole life ahead of her. I mean, it's it, what happened is 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 every family's um, worst nightmare, PJ. Yes, it is. is yes, it is. I'm sure you would agree. Um, and look as well. I'd also, I mean, like to be to be fair, I'd also like to acknowledge um, that the that the Minister for Justice, Helen McEntee, um has already been extremely proactive in the area of um, gender-based violence. And um, I mean, I think in fairness to Minister McEntee, tackling the issue of, of violence and sexual violence against women has been, I think, her number one priority um, since she became Minister for Justice. Um, look, she's established uh, specialised guard units um, to deal with such crimes in every division in the country and has, and has provided millions of extra funding to support uh, victims of domestic and sexual violence and extra guard resources. And she's also, as we've probably become aware in the last few days, working on a national strategy on gender and based on sexual violence. So I mean, I think that 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 should be acknowledged. Yeah, yeah. And so I mean, I suppose where I'm coming from is is with with my motion. And look, and I agree. I mean, it's it's being spoken about that 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 the national strategy and um, you know I mean will involve a lot of. Um, changes in terms of education and, and a change uh, in attitude and a change in culture and and I, I, I entirely agree that 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 is very much needed um, but I, I think that you know prevention and deterrence should also be um, a major part of, of of that strategy and I think that um, that Ashley Murphy's murder I think is is just is clearly a watershed moment because of the level of shock and, and grief uh, all across this country. You've described it as a Veronica Gearan moment. Put, put that into context for younger listeners, because that goes back to 1996. Yeah, I think I think it is a Veronica Gearan moment because, I mean, uh, those of us who can remember um, back then, like her, Veronica Gearan's shocking murder at the time led successive Irish governments to taking uh, strong measure, measures against organised crime and, and drug gangs by you know such things as establishing the criminal assets bureau and introducing minimum sentencing for for drugs and and um, and firearms offences and and so so in that regard what what my motion is proposing is that the government should consider introducing legislation which would provide minimum sentencing for offences involving violence and sexual violence against women in, including murder. And which would in, and would also consider increasing the maximum sentence for assault causing harm from from five years to ten years. Mm. Um, and just just to put it in context, PJ, um, under the current legislation, if a person is convicted of being in possession of thirteen thousand euro or more worth of illegal drugs, and um, they are subject to a minimum sentence of of ten years imprisonment. Now. Um, as you know, like that 10-year minimum can and often is departed from by a sentencing judge, you know, and particularly in circumstances where the, the convicted person pleaded guilty or, or cooperated with Gardaí or things like that. So, I mean, I think actually in the majority of cases... But, but at least it's there on the statute but, book. But it's it there, be, yeah. and, and, the, and the starting point is the 10-year minimum. 
And it's the same with regard to various uh, possession of firearms offences. You know, some of them are 10 year minimum, uh, some of them are five year minimum. But my point, PJ, is that there's no minimum sentencing uh, for the kinds of violent offences which are usually usually committed against women. Um, and for instance, if we look at offense, the offences of rape um, and aggravated sexual assault, I mean, look, we all know what, what rape is. But, but aggravated sexual assault is, if I could just um, read the definition, it, it's a sexual assault that involves serious violence or the threat of serious violence or is such as to cause injury, humiliation or degradation of a grave nature to the person assaulted. So that's obviously serious, uh, clearly a, a, an extremely serious offence. And both, of the, both rape and um, aggravated sexual assault are, are subject to a maximum sentence of life imprisonment. But, you know, in reality, PJ... It never happens. Extremely rare for that happen, to happen. It, it hardly ever happens. And, and I think the vast majority of sentences for rape, for example, I would say would be, would be between four and 12 years. Yeah. Um, and, but the point is, there's currently no minimum sentence yeah. for, for rape or aggravated sexual assault in a way like there is with, um, you know, possession of drugs in excess of 13,000 euro or, 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 you know, possession of firearm with intent to endanger life, things like that. And Shane, in your experience in the courts, uh, listening to judges handing down sentence, are judges hampered with the lack of a minimum, do you think, sometimes? Well, I suppose uh, different attitude or different judges would probably take different attitudes in that regard. I mean, I, I, mean, I suppose some judges um, might see a minimum sentence as, I suppose, taking away from their discretion um, to a certain extent, but yeah, I, I, in some cases, I suppose maybe a judge's inclination may be to to impose a sentence, but they're conscious that if the sentence is seen as as too strong or too 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 long in duration, that they could be appealed to the court of appeal and the sentence reduced there. So I mean, so I mean, it, it kind of works both ways. It depends on it depends on I suppose the judge yeah. judge dealing with the matter, but um, certainly in terms of um, you know longer sentences the judiciary I suppose um, would be conscious that if they impose too long a sentence and, and where there's no minimum that, that they could be subject to appeal. Because sometimes as you know we're here of a morning reading the newspapers or interviewing someone about a sentence and you're thinking how on earth you know but again the judge comes to a sentence after a lot of consideration Yes, I mean, and there's 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 various matters that a judge, you know, is obligated to take into uh, consideration, and rightly so. And I mean, one of them, for instance, would be would be a guilty plea, an early guilty plea. I mean, and that is very important, and that should be taken into consideration as a mitigating factor because, um, you know, it saves the court and the state a lot of time and expense where someone pleads guilty as opposed to contesting a matter. I mean, it saves uh, the victim if it's if it's a violent uh, crime or something like that from from the necessity of having to give evidence. Mm. So, I mean, you know, factors like that should be taken into consideration. I mean, lack of previous convictions is another one, um, is a potential mitigating factor. And, um, you know, efforts at rehabilitation uh, by the person involved. So these are factors that a judge, you know, has to take into consideration. And that that is, that, I mean, that is, that is right that they should do that. There's, there's a perception, I think, and it is that. I, I don't know how fact-based it is, but there's a perception that our sentencing in Ireland is a lot more lenient than, say, sentencing in the UK? Well, I think it would seem like it's a lot more lenient than the UK. But, I mean, actually, if you, if you drill down, the UK, if 
the person in the UK, uh, if they're sentenced to something, we'll say if they're sentenced to 20 years, they end up doing they end up doing 10 years because they're entitled to half, a 50% remission. So they only end up doing half their sentence, whereas that's not the case here. It's Here it's a quarter remission, so you end up doing three quarters of your sentence. Yeah, so so I if, mean, if you get 10 years, you do seven and a half, yeah. Yeah, whereas in England, if you get 10 years, you, or in the UK, if you do 10 years, you get five, you, you do five. So I see. Mean, so it's... Um, so that's, I suppose that is, I mean, certainly there, you know, I mean, um, uh, uh, compared to the likes of America, I mean, yes, we would, we, we would be much, much less lighter in terms of sentences in this country, uh, but America, I would, I would suggest is, is very much the other extreme and they put people, you know, in prison for life for very, very relatively minor offenses there, which is, which is not the way to do it either. And, um, but like, I mean, I suppose the point I'm making really is that, um, you know, okay, there's minimum sentences there for possession of firearms there's, uh, in certain circumstances. Mm. There is there is for possession of drugs over a certain amount, but there isn't minimum sentencing there, um, which is, uh, in my view, is certainly a deterrent um, when it comes to um, violent crimes against, which are mainly perpetrated against women, as I say, the likes of rape and aggravated sexual assault. If there was minimum sentence of 10 years imprisonment um, for offences such as those, I think that it could potentially make a, a major difference in, in terms of um, prevention and deterrence. Like, as matters stand, uh, a person convicted of murder is, is automatically sentenced. It's a mandatory sentence of life imprisonment. But after 12 years of that imprisonment, the convicted person is entitled to apply uh, to be released on license, okay? Um, and the average sentence served by a person sentenced to life imprisonment in this country is actually 18 years. Hmm. But there is another, so that's just for, uh, we'd say, an, an, a normal murder, okay? But there's also um, an offence called, it's, it's colloquially called as murder under Section 3. It's, it's murder under Section 3 of the Criminal Justice Act. We used to call it capital murder one time, didn't we? It, yeah, it replaced capital murder. Um, and basically, it, it, it relates to the murder of a, of a Garda in the course of duty, the murder of a prison officer in the course of duty. Um, and, you know, other murders, we'd say, committed by, you know, unlawful organizations, things like that in certain circumstances, you know, that was, you know, paramilitary issues at the time. Um, and a person convicted of murder under Section 3 is obviously sentenced to life imprisonment, like, like ordinary murder. Mm. But the court, when passing sentence, must specify, they don't have a choice, they must spend, specify a minimum period of at least 40 years imprisonment. Right. They could, they could, so I mean, so I mean, it's life but minimum to be served of 40 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and that cannot be departed from like the 10-year minimum. In- and, and that's there on the book. And are you suggesting, Shane, that we should have something like that for maybe the kind of awful fate that befell Ashling Murphy last week? Well, I think that, you know, the, court, the government, in my view, should consider um, introducing a similar uh, type of offence for... I mean, for I mean, again, not not necessarily all murders, but we'll say maybe perhaps murders where it's proven that there was um, a, a very large amount of premeditation or planning involved. Um, for instance, where it's proven that we'll say the murderer stalked the victim beforehand, mm. or you know, murders in which it is proven that you know the victim was was raped or sexually assaulted or or, or falsely imprisoned, you know, beforehand, or, or mm. and look, perhaps even the the, the government could even look at. Uh, providing a minimum sentence of 40 years imprisonment for for the murder of a woman or, or a child in, in any and all circumstances. I mean, I'm not I'm not suggesting um, in any 
specific course of action there, but I, I think that... Well, I think where you're going with it, Shane, is if, if the government wants to do it, there's nothing to stop them doing it in legislation. No, there isn't. Um, but like, I mean, I, I, I do I do work in the area, but I'm 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 by no means an expert in the area, and I'm and I'm I've no doubt that there are experts who in the area who would disagree with me, and um, and I'm sure that there are that there are reasons, um, you know, as to why they would say uh, such a course of action is inadvisable. But I mean, I I think that um, certainly that is something that um, that that the government should consider as part of. And um, you know the the new tra- the new their new strategy on on gender and and sexual um, violence. If there was one thing that you would believe as a practicing barrister, and I guess as a, as a decent human being, should be in that strategy when it comes out, what would it be? I do believe that a major part of it has to be in terms of education and and in terms of changing attitudes and in terms of changing a culture around around you know how how women are, are treated in in their day-to-day lives um, and and the attitudes I- involved in that so I, I do entirely accept that that should be part of it but as I say I also think and look um you know th- this may well already be part of the uh, of, of the strategy mm. what I'm proposing I, I, we don't know what the strategy is yet but I mean I, I do also think that the strategy and, and the government and and Minister McEntee in particular in, in in introducing the strategy, should look um, seriously at the at the issues of prevention and deterrence, and and I think that a, a major way of doing that, in addition to providing extra guard resources to 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 investigate such crimes, which, in fairness to Minister McEntee, she has already done, and 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 as I say, has provided extra funding to to NGOs and to to victim support groups. But another part, I think, is that should be looked at is is the issue of minimum sentencing for 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 you know certain types of murder, and um, you know and and offences that are committed prim- primarily um, against women, as I say, aggravated sexual assault, rape, and human trafficking is another one. And um, you know that's that's again maximum sentences matter stand of life imprisonment. But I mean I think they should consider minimum sentence for that as well. I mean that's basically human slavery, where um, people are trafficked, you know, forced in, you know, and often threatened and intimidated into working in you know, prostitution or, or in other areas. And I mean, I, that's that's horrific, um, you know, for, for something to happen to any any person, yeah. or, you know. And, and I, I think that those are things that, you know, I think it is time. I mean, the, the government has been speaking over the last number of days about a zero tolerance approach to um, violence against women. And it's something I completely agree with. And I think, as I say, it's something that has been championed by Minister McEntee and her, has been her number one priority since taking office. But I mean, I think that part of that it, it, zero tolerance approach should, should they should as part of that they should consider and um, the issue of minimum sentencing, um, in the areas I've outlined. Shane, thank you for being with us today. I appreciate your time. Thanks, PJ. That's Councillor Shane O'Callaghan, who's also a, a barrister, bringing that motion towards Cork City Council very soon. I will return to this, I promise you, in a few minutes. But I need to go uh, quickly to Sandra Higgins of Go Vegan World, because I know you're very busy, Sandra, and I appreciate you taking time to take our call. The Irish Farmers Association has said that deer are encroaching on farmers' land, and they're therefore upsetting the viability of farmers' land because of the damage they cause. This is, I believe, and I'm an urban guy, so I don't know the timing of this, but this, I believe, is deer culling season. 
And of course, it's something that Go Vegan World are very opposed to. Uh, Sandra Higgins uh, joins me. Good morning, Sandra. Good morning. Are, are we in culling season at the moment? Yeah. Uh, yes, we are. We are. I think. Okay. What What do you make of the IFA claiming that deer must be culled because they're encroaching on farmers' land and are reducing the viability of that land? Well, you know, first of all, we're a vegan group, so we're opposed to using or harming or killing animals for any reason. So obviously we disagree with it. And there are two points about that, really. Um, First of all, we have the human supremacist notion that the land belongs to us. But the land belongs equally to other lives. You know, strangely enough, there's almost 8 billion humans on Earth and we make up 0.01% of all living life. That includes plant life and animal life. And yet we dominate everybody else. And the, the small number of humans, almost 8 billion humans, we kill 70 billion land animals and trillions of fishes every year just to use us as food and clothing, which doesn't make any sense at all. Isn't it the the natural outcome of Darwin's theory of evolution? Well, no, this this has nothing to do with evolution, what we're doing to other animals. You know, the the capture and domination of other animals 10,000 years ago that has led to the current system where we uh, collectively breed them to maximise the profit from them has nothing to do with evolution. Mm. Uh, the second point I'd make about the IFA is that I think that this is a diversionary tactic. That you know what we really need to be talking about is the reduction in the number of animals that we use for food and clothing, with the ultimate goal to completely eliminate animal use. We need to do this on a moral basis first of all, but it also doesn't make any sense with respect to sustainability. And every environmental report that has been released in the last few years have have called for a change in how we live and a reduction in our use of other animals. And of course, as a vegan organisation, we would say, you know, even from a psychological perspective, we can't ring fence this. We can't say that it's okay to kill a few animals, but it's not okay to kill them all. It's not okay to exploit or own or kill any of them. Mm. I mean, as a vegan, you don't consume anything related to an animal, even an egg that is a natural product of a hen. You don't drink milk. You don't eat meat of any kind. You don't use anything related to an animal. You don't wear, you don't wear leather in, in, the, in the vegan lifestyle. And you believe that's where we should all go? I do, yeah. And you see, I believe that this is a human right. This is inextricably uh, related to human rights. You know, even if you take the environmental argument that the latest report in Ireland showed that 37.1% of Irish greenhouse gas emissions are attributable to the agricultural sector, mostly from animal agriculture. And of course, this has an impact on, on human health. But it's a right for us to have access to accurate information. And you've just said there, and I used to think the very same thing uh, only a short number of years ago, that eggs are a natural product. I used to think that cows automatically produce milk, um, animals automatically produce meat, eggs, uh, hens automatically produce eggs. They don't do any of these things at all. In their natural state, the wild hen is the very same as any other wild bird, a blackbird or a robin, and they only lay a few eggs every spring and summer for the purpose of hatching their young. 
But the hens that we know today that we farm have been selectively bred to ovulate, which means to lay an egg every day. And, you know, any woman listening to me will realise that that is absolutely horrific to put any... Well, not in the organic farms now. They'd only be every couple of days. They wouldn't be every day. Or maybe even every week in some of them. It wouldn't be every day. No, organic farming is is about the type of food fed to the animals and the lack of antibiotics. They're still selectively bred to lay an egg every day. We have this notion that there's something humane about free-range or organic farming, but to the animal who's used, um, the exploitation is the same. Can I ask you, Sandra, do you equate, you talk about human rights, like, do you equate my right or your right as a human being to the right of a cow or the right of a sheep or the right right of a hen? Do you equate those rights? They, yeah, they, 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 they are they are equal. Now, that, that doesn't mean that we say something ridiculous like, you know, cows have the right to an education or they have the right to, to vote. Those rights are, are, are specific to our species. What they have is that they share the same fundamental rights as us, not to be owned by someone, not to be exploited, not to be harmed, not to be killed. And the reason they have those rights is that they have the same central nervous system and the same ability to feel physical and psychological feelings as humans. And anybody who has a cat or a dog can see this very clearly. But let me tell you, I run a sanctuary. There's, you know, I'm, I'm wondering, that actually, the sounds behind you. It sounds like you have a, <laughs> yes. a fine crowd around you there, Sandra. <laughs> yeah, I know. The two lads are, are, are a few busy. extra contributors to this conversation, I yes, think. <laughs> give, give him what for, Mammy. <laughs> <laughs> but let me tell you, from running a farmed animal sanctuary, they opened my eyes. They educated me to their ability to treasure their lives just as much as I treasure my life. Their lives are different to mine, but they're no less important to them because they're members of another species. And I was horrified when I learned that I have been using other animals, you know, in research for makeup products, for cleaning products, for clothing, for food, um, all my life. Um, And they're not necessary. We can live live very healthy and happy lives without using other animals at all. And farmers... um, There is an argument, briefly and finally, Sandra, just there is an argument that's sometimes made uh, that if we all stopped tomorrow making any use of the animal kingdom and just let the animals live the same way as we live, that we would eventually become extinct because they'd overrun us. Look, at the moment, if you look at the figures in our, you know, just the figures I called out there at the beginning about the number of animals that we breed and kill every year. Because we are quite a small species. Um, they, they are all selectively bred. They, they don't, these animals don't exist in the wild. Mm. Do you see what I mean? We're not going to be overrun by wild animals any more than we ever were in the past. Uh, that is not going to happen far from it. Our species is destined uh, to be at severe risk of having a future at all if we continue on the current trajectory. Okay. It's not sustainable. It's destroying the very earth and the, the the climate that we all need for our survival. There's a better way. And, you know, this is not about criticising farmers. It, it, you know, far from talking about killing killing wild deer, what we need to do is restore Ireland. It, the, it, in the past... 
80% of Ireland was covered in rainforest, natural tree, native trees. Now we only have 1% of trees on this island. And right there in Cork, in, in Beira, mm. you have a perfect example of a, of a rainforest on 40 acres. And, you know, if, if any of you locally go and, go and visit that place or get in touch with the man who runs it, you'll see what a magnificent, rich place it is. This mm. is the kind of earth we could live on. We need a fraction of the land and the resources to produce food for us to eat directly than when we grow crops to feed to animals, to recycle those crops through the animals that, that we kill. Uh, like 80, 83% of the world's land um, is devoted to animal agriculture, which produces only 18% of our calories. It's not, it doesn't make sense on any level at all. Okay. Uh, we need to change. All right, leave it there for today, Sandra. Good to speak with you. Uh, Sandra Higgins from Go Vegan World. I've had many a conversation with people who uh, support and promote veganism over the years. And one thing I'll say for Sandra is you can have a a reasonable conversation with her and you might even have a laugh with her, which we did there with her own animal. Veganism will never be for me. I'm sorry. Uh, my, my breakfast this morning was two boiled eggs and cornflakes with milk, proper milk, and I'll eat meat or fish or something later. That's, veganism will never be for me. But it's for a lot of people. What d- do you think that it's for you? And the idea about culling the deer, and it's a while since I read about this now, but the deer that we have in this country, yes, they're a natural species, but they're a predatory species. And if you don't cull them, they will eventually outgrow their habitat and they will damage the the land and the habitats around them. That having been said, we're down in uh, Kerry in October, uh, just on the National Park there, we went down just for a drive down by the National Park and Ladies View and all those places and we got out of the car. It was a lovely afternoon looking out there to fantastic views of County Kerry. And out of the bushes came this most gorgeous little fawn. What a beautiful little creature. And I have that image in my head now as I think of deer being culled. I also have a report in front of me from the Irish Mail on Sunday in January 2019 where a leading Michelin star chef... J.P. McMahon said the best time or the best way to deal with the surplus of deer and indeed the surplus of goat (laughs) is to eat them. So there are many and varied opinions out there. I'd like yours. 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Cork's 96FM. Bunch of comments that I will come back to with regard to what uh, Councillor Shayla Callaghan was saying and a few other topics of conversation. But we got this one. Uh, there's a bit of this I had to give my mum some assistance last week to get her updated COVID search, so I can identify with this. Carla says, I got a, a search from HSE, or text rather, from HSE, telling me I need to go online to get my COVID cert. I have decided to be offline. How am I supposed to get the cert? In other words, the person doesn't use the web. How am I supposed to get the cert? I don't want to be telling people my business, asking them to get it for me. I need the cert to function, though. There should be an option. We've also got a call from a listener who has no email, 
says she's elderly enough, and she was wondering how to get her COVID cert. If you contact the HSE directly, they will help you. There is an option. There is an option to get it by post. They are sending it out mostly by email this time, but there is an option to get it by post. The problem is, and this is the best bit, I'm assuming they'll talk to you on the phone, but I think you actually have to go online to select the option of to have it posted out to you, which kind of defeats the purpose. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there is a phone line you can call for those kind of queries. 0818 96 96 96. Actually, there's a. I might start before we talk about what you want to talk about. Um, Sinn Fein TD, Thomas Gould. Do you know if there's an option for people who just don't have an online presence to get their, their COVID booster cert by post? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Yeah, well, as far as I know, PJ, if anyone needs assistance, they can contact uh, the GP or they can contact the HSC. Or if anyone is stuck, they could contact my office and we'd certainly help uh, anyone who needed assistance. Okay, okay, because okay. a lot of it is electronic this time. They did send by post the last time, but an awful lot of it's electronic this time. You were talking, uh, Thomas, recently about the shortage of addiction nurses and, and the problems it's causing. Well, I tell you, PJ, what happened um, just before Christmas, there's a, there's a group set up, there's a group that's there called the National Oversight Committee, yeah. which deals uh, with the National Drug Strategy. And on that, uh, you have different various groups, you have different specialists, you have you had doctors, you had um, you had community task forces, you had community groups, you had task forces, you had addiction nurses, um, you right across the range, and their job was to was to look at the national drug strategy to make sure it's implemented and bring about any changes or uh, recommendations to how it should be best implemented. Now, the the addiction nurses were a part of this, and they were removed by the minister before Christmas, which to me was a uh, was a really um, bad decision by the minister because these are nurses who are at the front line, who understand what people in addiction are going through and like to exclude them then from the oversight committee. Yeah. Uh, they were very upset because they believe that um, they have a very important part to play. Whose decision was it to exclude them, Thomas? It was Minister Frank Fian. And why did he do it? Do you know? Yeah, we, we we don't know, PJ. No, what I did is I wrote to him and I raised the matter and I, I did some publicity on it. And uh, between myself and the addiction nurses and other groups, uh, the minister came out last Friday and said that he's going to meet with them. But just to let you know the attitude of the minister towards addiction services in general, but in the nurses here in particular, he told the press last Friday and he didn't bother telling the nurses until this week. So there seems like the minister and the department are more interested in the press. And the only reason they did that is tomorrow there's a health committee meeting in the Doyle. And I'm standing in for David Cullinan because I was going to raise this issue tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And ahead of me coming in, because I told the minister last week, I was going to be raising this issue tomorrow. And I wanted answers off him to explain why he's making these decisions. I know the minister is trying to get out ahead of uh, with their spin and they're trying to turn it. But mm-hmm. like I think I, I'll be putting the questions to the minister tomorrow. Addiction nurses, for people who are in the throes of addiction, PJ, you've covered it. It's a very, a very specialised branch of nursing. A very yes. specialised branch of nursing, yes. 
And and for the minister then to be treating these nurses this way, like to be honest, PJ, I I believe you're a minister Frank Fein who who either doesn't get what his job is in relation to drug strategy and supporting people in addiction and those going into recovery. So either he doesn't get it or the department are telling him what to do. But, because but on um, whose you know, the first question to be put into my suggest would be on whose advice did he do it? Yes, and that's what we're like. They at least deserve the respect to be told why that decision was made, and like we're we're talking about very vulnerable people here, and we're talking about the people working with them. So, but what we've noticed, PJ, since I took over the role of addiction recovery and well-being, is that HSC is trying to push out all the groups that speak out. So that's what we see before Christmas now. Um, again, they're, they're trying to move community groups off this National Oversight mm. Committee. You know, we fought that. I fought that before Christmas. We got all the opposition parties together. There was even some Fianna followers of... So, so who, sorry to cut across, who does sit on the committee then? What groups are represented well, on it? I, I tell you, Peter, you, you, there's over 20 different groups and people on it. So you'd have... You had the addiction nurses, you'd have doctors, you'd have psychiatrists, you'd have uh, addiction services, you'd have community services, uh, you'd have recovery services, you'd have people from the HSC, from the department. So so this group, like the whole idea of the group is a good idea because you have experts yeah. from all the different pooling, fields. Pooling their resources and pooling their knowledge, but yet this very highly specialised group of nurses are no longer represented. Yes, and Peter, you know yourself when you're dealing with departments, whether it's housing or health, and the HSC, they want to control. They, they want to control these meetings. They want to control what's coming out of them. Some some of the people in the groups at these meetings um, speak up for the the people in addiction and for the people who are who are in the recovery journey, and sometimes what they say. Um, looks bad in the government, looks bad in the HSC, and because of that, then they're trying to be excluded. And what I'm saying is, their voices can't be excluded mm. because they're speaking up for people who ca- who can't speak up for themselves. Okay, okay, and they might be likely to say things that would make certain individuals uncomfortable. Is what I think you're getting at. Yes, it, yes, it'd be, and the other thing, Peter, then they'd have to explain why these people are making these comments, why these people are standing up for for those in addiction. Because what we've seen, PJ, is the HSC know, like, you know the local drugs task forces and the regional task forces. Indeed, indeed. What, what was happening was local people were making decisions in relation to drug and alcohol services for their communities. And what the HSC now have started to do over the last couple of years is take control back from local groups and local people and it's going back into the whole bureaucracy of the HSC. I, I think we see I think we see the extent of how far that can go with the whole story down in Onakura. Thomas, I'll leave it there for today. That's Thomas Gould, uh, Sinn Féin TD for Cork North Central. Raising that to me is a very, very interesting question. You've got this oversight committee consider it like Neffet right? think along the lines of Neffet this is a committee of experts in the field who advise the government on drug policy it's doctors and it's got scientists and it's got psychologists and it's got blah 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 it used to have specialised addiction nurses on that committee 
and now it doesn't. Why? You have to ask, that's a very, very fair question being raised by Thomas Gould. Why and on whose advice have those nurses now been excluded from that committee? Let's hope he gets an answer to that. Why have very highly specialised nurses not been represented on a key committee to do with the oversight of addiction and recovery in the country? Why would that be? In all of my life, I never knew they did that to deer in Ireland, says a call. I had a friend who had two cows and couldn't kill them, Bessie and Bunty. They died of old age. They've been doing that for years, caller. Deer hunting is a thing in this country, and there's quite a number of people involved in deer hunting, whether you approve of it or not. There's also considered to be a need, some would disagree, some would agree, there's also considered to be a need to cull the deer herd. So they allow the hunters to hunt at the time of the cull. Now, they also have specialised marksmen that do uh, some of the culling. But the whole thing ties in together. Hunting has a very closed season for deer, but it ties in with the cull because it is believed that a certain number of the older deer have to be taken out of the system every year to keep the herd size under control because the belief is they're a kind of a predatory species. Many would agree, many would disagree. That, that's why they're called. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie we're back to the music. The Quartz 96 FM music panel gives you the power to pick our playlist. Click 96fm.ie now. 96fm.ie now. Take the 10-minute survey and you could win a 100 euro Just Eat voucher. The power to pick what we play. Pick what we play. Let's get down, let's get down to business. Join the Quartz 96 FM music panel. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Or see 96fm.ie. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Oh yeah, I remember my days in the newsroom. Anytime there was a big tennis major, particularly Wimbledon in the summer, because people got such an interest in it, but anytime there was a big tennis major, you'd be looking through the first and second round and you'd look, oh god, I hope he doesn't get through, because I can't deal with his name. Like, some of their names are sentences. Basil Yashi. There was a one one time, a fella called Slobodan Zibovinovic, and he was about six foot twelve, and he was a huge guy with a massive serve. And of course, he went all the way through Slobozan Zivojinovic, but he was known as Bobo. And everyone just started calling him Bobo because, God almighty, the names, the names, the names. Mind you, I imagine how the rest of the world would struggle with O'Sullivan or O'Murakou or Fitzgerald. Do you know what I mean? So it is what it is. Thanks, Vic. 0818 96 
96.96. A whole bunch of stuff on the sentencing and the possible change in sentencing, which I promise it will come back to. And a few comments on cycling from earlier on. I've got a court hearing coming soon to testify against a driver who rammed into me and my bike for touching his mirror when he passed me too close. So I'd say no, Cork is not at all safe for cycling. On WhatsApp, it's also teenage boys who are afraid to cycle. I'm sure it is, I've no doubt it is, but the survey was done among girls, the survey that's being brought before the Oireachtas Committee today. Joe says all the nice things happen south of the river. I live in the north side, less than 10 minutes cycle from the city, but along some of the most dangerous roads with impatient drivers. I also get regular abuse as a woman when I cycle too. I've stopped, I drive instead. 0818. 96, 96, 96. Now, talking about veganism in the last hour, we were chatting with Sandra Higgins of Go Vegan World about the cull of deer and how she feels as a vegan. It's wrong. They were here first, effectively, is what she was saying. And we've no right to cull the herd. That's her belief. We talked a little more about the, the beliefs of veganism and as I said rather than a row which I've had with some vegans in the past I had a very good conversation with Sandra I, I also said and I'll continue to say this it's, <laughs> veganism is never going to be for me but we it prompted a call from from Taryn Taryn you you went vegan for a little while did you good morning morning yes I did um, I'm initially from South Africa mm. and I was vegan whilst living there um I did it for the treatment of animals. Uh, a lot of the animal rights over there is very different, and you can't guarantee that what you buy in the shop has been looked after. Yeah, yeah. And it just broke my heart when I saw some of some of the things. And even there's a, a new station, Carte Blanche, that's run once a week there. And they did a thing on farms, and you saw how bad the cows were being treated. Mm. I, I sat there crying, and I'm just like, I can't have this on my plate. Mm. There's um, also bush meat, isn't there, Taryn, in South Africa? And you'd often wonder where that comes from. Well, yeah, but um, look, my own in-laws do hunting, so yeah. <laughs> but they they do do it legally. They have their their licenses and all of that, but I I, I can't stand hunting. <laughs> sure. And when, um, when you when when you went vegan, then what changes did it make for you? Well, it made a huge impact on my health, to be very honest with you. Um, I had, or I have what's called polycystic ovary syndrome. Mm -hmm. Um, I was very overweight. We were battling to conceive. We were trying for a baby. And within a year, I lost 20 kilograms. Please don't ask me what that is in pounds because I don't know. (laughs) But it's a lot. (laughs) It's a substantial amount, you know. And that was with no exercise. So for me, it made a huge impact on my health. It's, I don't believe health-wise it's for everyone, mm. but it was, it was my right move, you know? Yeah. Um, and after that year, we had a little surprise and I was, I was pregnant. I mean, we had actually stopped trying. Yeah. It will be five in June. Wow. Um, and it was my greatest blessing. Um, I went off veganism though, because we moved to Scotland at the time when I was 28 weeks pregnant mm. and a friend of mine put me up in a room and 
you can't be like, well, you have to have to buy me vegan food now. You know, it's a bit rude. So <laughs> I went off it and I just, I just haven't gone back since. And there's many mm. times when I've wanted to, yeah. but it's very hard being in a household with other and, people and that Tara, won't. And may I ask, to what extent was your veganism? Was, was it just not meat or was it not cheese? Was it not eggs? Was it not milk? Nothing from an animal. Right, right. Nothing, nothing from an animal. Um, my my route to veganism was though that I went slowly. So first I cut off red meat, then I cut off pork, then I did chicken, um, then I did fish, and then I did milk and eggs, and then all the byproducts after that. Right. If I had in my house a woolen blanket though, it stayed. I wasn't going to go get rid of it just because it's yeah. you know it, it was already in my house. Um, I wasn't going to waste money that had been spent, gifts that had been given to me prior, yeah. you know, to the decision I made. I know. But, so you, you, you went back on a regular diet or did you maintain some elements of veganism? Uh, no. So now I, I eat a, ve- a very regular diet for what's considered normal. Um, and... I, w- I wish I could be vegan again <laughs> for my health. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. As, as but it, it is quite hard, though. Yeah. I, it sounds awfully difficult. I mean, for someone like me, I love meat, I love fish, I love all those things. It's and I, not I'm, awful. It's just I'm a very picky eater. <laughs> right. um, my son's got autism and he's a very picky eater. Yes. And um, when I say picky, I, he's he's the problem picky eater. And I'm, I'm the same. Mm-hmm. So... With my diet kind of being limited as it is, cutting out things that I'm, I'm willing to eat by taste, yeah. <laughs> it's a lot harder. Yeah, yeah, but you did, you did feel the benefits. I mean, obviously, look, anybody who is considering changing their diet so radically should check with their GP before considering anything. But but you you you, you came back, you, you changed back to a regular diet, but you would like to try veganism again. Yes, I would. I would go back onto it wholeheartedly, but it's it's very difficult now. It's not just me and my husband. It's now myself, my husband, my kids. One of them is a very picky eater, and my mom lives with us. Okay. So it's it's not just the two of us that we buy in groceries for, like sure. we did previously. Sure, sure, okay. Um, it- and my picky eater lives on cocoa pops and milk, so <laughs> I can't not buy that. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Oh, I, I know, I know how it can be that way. Uh, Taryn, thank you so much for uh, contacting the opinion line. Was ve- went vegan, uh, lost. She said twenty kilos. Kilos. That's that's like that's just over three stone. That's that's a lot of weight. And then she had polycystic ovaries. We've discussed that on the program. People struggle to conceive. She managed to have a baby, and that is great. Um, now she wants to go back to being vegan. She changed when she moved to Scotland because it just wasn't feasible. Now she wants to go back. Everybody's experience will be will be different. I couldn't think it would ever be for me. Uh, it was for her. Then it wasn't. Now it back is again. And she certainly found certain health benefits. At least she believes she did. But look, if you're thinking of anything that involves a radical dietary change or a radical lifestyle change, please do. Don't take my advice for it. Goodness sake, don't. I'm just a gobshite on the radio. Take your doctor's advice. 0818. 96, 96, 96 on vaccine certs and what do you do for your new vaccine cert if you're not online? I called the HSE. They told me call 1850-241-1850, which sounded a bit dubious because I thought all the 1850 numbers were gone, but I thought perhaps not for the government. I tried. It didn't work. 
I wonder, does anybody have the new number? Yeah, the, I thought the, I, because our 1850 number uh, went bang at the end of the month. And now we have 0818 96 96 96. Uh, so one assumes that the 1850, 24-1-1850, or 24-1850 is gone now. Uh, and if if that's what they're still advertising and telling you to call, that's really, my, my, they might as well be telling you to go out the back and howl at the moon. Oh, whatever. We'll see if there is a change in the number. On the subject of sentencing, Barish says, Good morning, PJ. Shane's making such good points. If people know the consequences when they break the law, be sure they'll think twice. Judges should get rid of the slap on the wrist. Think of the work Gardaí do to bring these people to court. And the punishment is a slap on the wrist and a slap on the face for the Garda. It should be a crime against a person, not against gender, says a comment. Across the board, not only against women, or against women, says Bejabbers on Twitter. The judiciary needs to wake up, three strikes and you're out. Time to stop reading about 50 or 150 previous convictions. And Gerard says the murder of any human being should be considered equally reprehensible. Does the councillor not believe this? Well, I'm very, very sure that he does, but at the moment we're talking about about women. 0818969696. We have talked on the programme in the past about the agony caused to women, women of many, young and old, above vaginal mesh. And I'm not going to go into the whole biology of it. Suffice to say that it is causing pain and suffering to many, many women. And there's many, many legal cases being taken as a result of it. And Marion Fogarty, who's a solicitor with Cantillons in town, is one of the solicitors uh, involved in, in, in a number of those cases. Mar- Marion, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. We have talked about this me. before. It's an ongoing thing, people suffering awfully after this procedure. There's been a lot of coverage recently of cases against the manufacturers of mesh in the UK and in Australia has has there been any of it here? And and even if there wasn't, would an outcome of a case, say in the UK or Australia, have any bearing here? Well, um, I, just to just to roll back a little bit, would it be okay if I just explained what a pelvic mesh is to your listeners? For oh, don't please those do. I, 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 no. Please do Sorry, because please I, I, no. I, as I said, I was kind of I was trying to avoid the gruesome nature of it at twenty past ten in yeah. the morning. But no, if, no, I, if it if it adds worry. to the conversation, go ahead. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll be very brief, but it's just to give it some context. So a pelvic mesh implant is a medical device to use in the repair of either pelvic organ prolapse or to manage stress, urinary incontinence, very, you know, um, difficult um, conditions for anybody to be living with, mostly women. Mm-hmm. And um, following the insertion of the device, it resides in the pelvis to support pelvic organs. But unfortunately, the device has caused crippling, life-changing complications for many women. Um, that, that might include severe and chronic pain, infection, permanent nerve damage or damage to surrounding organs, recurrent urinary incontinence, um, loss of sex life, um, limited mobility, unable to sit for a long period of time. And because of all of that, um, some of those suffering from these pelvic mesh devices have had to resort to litigation to have those wrongs acknowledged. And <clears throat> you mentioned there the the, um, 
the UK and Australian cases, um, they they are there are class actions in being in those countries at the moment, um, and um, there have been recent developments in the Australian case where um, I had written about briefly in the Echo last week. And that case, um, the, it's against one of the manufacturers. There are a number of manufacturers. But the, the, the High Court in Australia found, and, and this was after hearing evidence, that the medical devices were not fit for purpose and had risks that were known and not insignificant. So um, <clears throat> here we don't have provision for a class action facility. Yeah. So the individual has to take on that litigation risk itself. Um, if if they want to have those those wrongs acknowledged, um, and that involves procuring evidence to basically prove the case, and obviously it would be fact specific as well. Yeah, yeah. So the case, and I'm assuming from what you tell me that the the, the outcome of the case in Australia, which I don't no doubt was very pleasing to the people taking the case, is that of no use at all here? Well, it's not over yet. Um, it was an initial um, application um, was allowed to say that they could, this class action could go ahead. And um, Johnson & Johnson, the manufacturer in the case, appealed that decision and they lost that decision. So now they're going ahead on a kind of a damage. There's a further hearing to be held in terms of um, live art in terms of quantum. Mm. Um, but the, the evidence that's emanating from that case um, will be helpful. Um, there may be some similarities that, that can be availed of, sure. but there, I don't have any Johnson & Johnson um, cases or other manufacturers involved and, sure. you know, I, I don't go into the specifics of those either. Sure. But the, the, the products in, in themselves general, are banned here with the last number of years, aren't they? Banned since well, 2018? Yeah, I mean, th- there is a pause on them. That's the terminology that the Department of Health has has used. And, you know, in a way that, that what, what precipitated that pause was reactionary because it, it occurred against what was happening in the UK. And um, in effect, what all of this is showing is that with, in, in my view anyway, um, with medical device um, devices, we have weak regulation Um there, there were misgivings about the pelvic mesh going back um, in Ireland as far back as 2017 and elsewhere as far back as 2015 and even before that. Um, and what happened in the UK is arising from these concerns. They decided to hold, they requested Baroness Cumberland to hold a review regarding the pelvic mesh products, but also other um, medicines and devices as well. And, you know, there was two other medicines that she had to look into as well. And her report, um, it was published two years later, but when the report was requested, the Department of Health here issued a press release to say that they were going to do likewise and have um, a pause on the use of pelvic mesh for the time being Mm. until they got certain sort of comforts from stakeholders regarding safety measures and then the CMO produced a report and later that year and on foot of that report well in that report firstly he made a number of very interesting recommendations and also findings so one of some of the recommendations were that training was required among clinicians so I have seen cases where surgeons have done the surgery but they didn't have a subspeciality in urogynecology and this is a specialized delicate 
procedure. Mm-hmm. Um, adequate informed consent. So in some cases, the mesh, depending on the, on the person's presentation, the mesh may not have been required. There may have been other options. Mm-hmm. And it is, it is an invasive procedure. And also register um, to keep a list of the um, people that have the mesh, but also um, there should also be mandatory reporting of adverse incidents. And that hasn't been the case to date. Right. It has been voluntary to as to whether clinicians and patients report adverse incidents to the HPRA. So the, the HPRA is the Health Product Regulatory sure. Authority that regulates medical devices here. But how can they regulate appropriately if they don't have all the information regarding all adverse incidents on medical devices? Yes. Um, so... So the CMO um, published findings, um, or sorry, made recommendations that this would all happen. The HSE has set up an implementation plan, um, but I am not really any of the wiser as to where we are with that. It it all happens terribly, terribly slowly. There's a term has come up uh, in in reference to this, Marion, and it's strict liability. What does that mean? Yeah, so so basically in a, in a product liability or in a defect, where you have a defective product, there are a number of ways in, in which you can um, have the matter investigated. Um, and one of those ways is under um, a, a law called the 1991 Liability for Defective Products Act. And in that law, there it's a helpful statutory act that was brought in for these types of scenarios. There is the provision of strict liability. And so in that act, it says the producer is liable in damages for damage caused by a defect. And a product is defective if it fails to provide for the safety for which it was intended or which a person is entitled to expect having regard to, say, the presentation of the product, the use for which it was intended. And in terms of strict liability, then, you don't need to show that the manufacturer was, say, reckless or failed to use due care. Um, it's, it's basically proving that there is a defect and then the causal link between the defect and the harm caused. So, in other words, it's, it's it's sort of it's a lesser threshold to overcome, um, but there that that is just one of many mechanisms in which you can um, pursue a product liability type action. I suspect there are people listening to us, Marion, who know someone or who may themselves be infected, and indeed we're talking about young and older women, uh, and they've no idea where to start. Uh, do they? take action against a doctor? Do they go against the consultant? Who should they consider action against? Well, I think firstly, if, if I have actually had queries from people um, who have had mesh inserted very recently and then a long time ago. And um, I think from a legal perspective, they would need tailored advice on that. But also, if they have concerns, they should first and foremost go to their doctor and report them. And equally, I'd be reporting them to the HPRA. Um, The HPRA has a dedicated web page on its site to encourage this reporting, and it should be done because unless um, these incidents are being reported, then, you know, people can't, the stakeholders, the stakeholders involved in ensuring and implementing change won't know about it. And every every report, it is important that all types of harm um, are being reported. Mm-hmm. So from a legal perspective, then there are 
you know, there are a number of, of avenues that can be taken, but it, it does depend on the facts, when it happened, all of that. Um, and there, there could also be a potential kind of clinician involvement. It may not just be a, a product liability involvement. Mm-hmm. Um, the and first so, port of call, I so, suggest, is your solicitor. Well, that tailored advice. Don't don't um, kind of be working off a website or anything like that. But equally, I would say report report it to your doctor. Report it to the HBRA. <clears throat> okay. okay, Marion, leave it there, and thank you very much for being with us. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection. Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Sound the opinion and Marion Fogarty, a solicitor with Cantlands. This is an ongoing one. It's it's one of the things that it's a real hole in our legal system in this country. We don't have a facility for class action. Uh, for example, if you take the the mica houses up in Donegal, houses falling down because of very defective bricks and mortar, there's no facility for class action there. If there was, it would probably have been sorted long ago. And we have no facility for class action in this country, which is why people have to go individually to their lawyers and uh, trying to living in pain and discomfort from these things. Thank you for that, Marion. 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Cork's 96FM. So much discussion on violence in general, but violence against women in particular, obviously, in the wake of the brutal murder of Ashling Murphy. Her funeral is... This morning, the mass is at 11 o'clock. I've managed to get into the live stream, uh, which hopefully I will be able to connect with. Um, One would be fearful that with such an interest it may crash, but we will try anyway to bring you at least a sample of the the sounds from her mass after 11 o'clock. But I want to talk about the spectrum of violence and what it actually means. Um, I have in front of me a pyramid uh, 
of Sexual Violence. Uh, it's published by the University of Alberta, where they have a sexual assault centre. And it's there, there are many of these pyramids to be found. I want to talk to Dr. Caroline West, who is the host of the Glow West podcast. Uh, Caroline, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. Explain what's in front of me here. This is from the University of Alberta, as I says, and it starts with attitudes and beliefs and leads right up to uh, genocide. Explain. Yeah, so this is, you know, the idea of, of looking at things like pyramids or spectrums of sexual violence is, and, and you know, which includes murder as well, is the idea that we need to have a conversation where these attacks aren't viewed as random. You know, we're kind of joining the dots and looking at the patterns and looking at what can be done. So it's, I suppose it's recognising that sexual violence is a massive spectrum from, you know, sexual harassment, from groping to sharing nudes without consent, up to in-person sexual violence, you know, from actual rape and, and sexual assault, and then up to things like murder and genocide and femicide. So, you know, it really does show that the, all these things are linked and the attitudes and beliefs and the normalization of violence really does pave the way for the acceptability of those physical expressions of violence. So those attitudes and beliefs are things like sexism and transphobia and racism and things like that. And, you know, the the minimization of people's experiences. So that looks at things like victim blaming. So how that supports the whole pyramid is it really kind of minimizes the violence that's there and it encourages victims not to come forward because if they do come forward they'll be blamed or you know they'll be questioned about what they did instead of the focus being on the on the perpetrator so it really does kind of you know pave that way so it's not these are not random attacks they are systematic and they are all connected and i think that's really really important to understand that is it fair to say caroline though that and i'm looking in particular at teenage boys in a locker room and and, and we all know the the humour and the banter of the locker room and yes it is very distasteful but surely that banter like you said it is streets and roads away from the top of the pyramid and not everybody who engages in it, in fact very few of those who are going to ever engage in it are going to go on to do anything like that but we must discourage it because somebody might, is that what you're saying? Absolutely. It's not a step by step, you know, it's not that everyone's on this travel ladder all the way up, you know, to, to the top layers. It's the fact that that kind of attitude really is what, what it's doing there is showing a lack of empathy. Like if we're joking about murder and rape, what we're really doing you know, is, is really showing that we don't care about that person behind that, you know, and we're, we're minimising experiences. And you had Megan on yesterday, you know, talking about the, the Zoom bomb of, of the vigil, which is yeah. just so disgusting. Oh, well, that was despicable behaviour. Absolutely disgusting. But people online were saying, oh, well, you know, it's just not that big a deal. And pointing to Megan's work as a sex worker as, you know, as a way to make a laugh out of it and a joke about it. So when we minimise this, we really take the, the emphasis away from the actual act and we make it all into a joke. And at, like, at what point does murder and rape be a joke? You know, how do we get to that point in our society where we're already removing that empathy and kindness and compassion that we should have, you know, so what we want people to do is call it out. You know, if someone's making a joke about something, we want people to step up and go, you know, that's actually not really funny and call it out amongst their friends because this is how it starts. It's like the seeds of it, you know, and obviously not everyone's going to go on and commit serious violence. But, you know, when we kind of have a society where this is just minimized, 
that's not great. Yesterday I was talking to the rugby player Anna Kaplis about this and she told me, and she got quite distressed as she told me, of an incident that happened to her in a pub in Dingle. And it was when she, very, very briefly, she went, she had, she saw on the other side of the pub an old friend, an old male friend she hadn't seen in quite some time, went over, was speaking to her, her friend, and one of the group that he was with came up behind her and basically groped her. And as you could imagine, she got upset and she... She ended up getting thrown out of the pub for reacting. And the friend, or the so-called friend, said, let it go, let it go, Anna, let it go. Like that whole, that whole story was horrifying. But yeah. what we've been learning, Caroline, since Ashling's horrific murder last week, is there are two various levels. There are hundreds of those stories. Absolutely. I have my own story of that happening as well. And, you know, like there are gangs of lads who will do that as a joke. You know, you turn around and you can't figure out which one is the one that's groped you. And then you get angry at being violated. And that is sexual assault to grope someone like that. And then that ends with the bouncer not taking you seriously or people not wanting to ruin the night or all those kind of things. So it's like every woman I know has a story of some level of violence that has been committed against them. Because what shocked me most in the story was not so much that the bouncer threw her out. That in itself was bad enough. But the so-called friend, and she said, look, she's a tolerant person. She's still friends with this guy. She's the the, the so-called friend never turned around to his associate and said, would you cop on? Never. Yeah. But that's the thing. It's like this violence is used as a joke. Like they're not seeing that as serious. Whereas for that person, even if it's one account, it probably won't be. This will probably be another thing in a series of things that we have to deal with and all the stories that we hear as well. Whereas that guy probably never had any experience himself. So he doesn't have that kind of empathy, but we shouldn't need to have the experience to have the empathy either. You know, and it's just these conversations just radically need to change. And you know, I think we're so far away from where we need to be. We're talking about apps and legalizing mace and all this kind of stuff. Like we shouldn't need to have to carry weapons mm. around us to to move safely through the world. And they don't help as well. You know, like my own experiences of domestic violence when, you know, I had my ribs broken at home by a partner. I made it to the bathroom, was able to lock myself in and call the guards because I, I luckily had my phone with me. But they still took about an hour to turn up. So an, an app or a panic button wouldn't have saved me if there was still an hour. If he wanted to kill me, he had an hour to do it. Mm. So, you know, you know, we just don't have the backup behind this. And we shouldn't shouldn't need to live in a world where, like, every woman feels that they need to walk around with a collection of keys, of panic alarms, of apps, and to make sure our phone is fully charged, mm. to make sure we only walk in certain places and certain times. Like, well, we shouldn't need to have this. I was speaking to my daughter yesterday. Um, and she's she's 24, she lives in town with a, a number of her friends and very independent, strong young woman, very proud of her that I am. And I said to her, I said, are there places, I say, that you would be afraid to go? And she said, there are places, Dad, where I switch off my earpods. Now, she lives on her earpods. Yeah. There were places where I switched them off because I can't be sure. Yeah. And, you know, part of that is, 
you know, it's a self, it's a safe technique, but it's also to try and mitigate against the victim blaming that comes on. You know, it's like, oh, well, you were listening to music. Why didn't you switch them off? You know, we get blamed for these things. And, you know, one of the the hashtags around Ashling's murder was, um, you know, hashtag she's only going for a run, which I really have issues with because it's, it shouldn't be about what we're doing. You yeah. know, we should be able to run a at 2am, we should be able to be absolutely yeah, yeah. hammered, uh, yeah. you know, walk down the street naked if that's whatever situation we get into. That, yeah. that is not the problem. The problem is that with the choice of the perpetrator who chooses to commit violence against someone. Like we should be using hashtags of he chose to murder her, yeah. not she was going for a run. Because again, that puts the emphasis back on the victim. Do you know, maybe this is, I, I, maybe it's a human reaction, but I don't know if it's the right one. What... What shocked me most about what happened to Ashling was it was four o'clock on a bright, crisp January day. We think these things happen at night. That personally was the most shocking thing for me. Was it the wrong thing to be shocked at? I, uh, it's just so hard. Yeah, you, you think obviously, that but things... that it happened is bad enough. Yeah, but for working in refuges for the past eight years, we got calls twenty four seven. There was no right time. There was no weird time. We had people coming in at half seven in the morning, you know, with the clothes on, on their backs and that was it. Or, you know, a lunchtime or, you know, there there is no time, you know, there's and that's a scary thing that we're vulnerable 24 seven. You know, it's like, like sexual harassment happen, happens in the workplace. So your nine to five isn't safe, you know, if that's what you're working. So we don't think of this just primarily as a Saturday night, you know, at 2 a.m. kind of thing. And I suppose maybe for some people, if you were shocked, you know, maybe it's time to, you know, read up around like what women's experiences actually are and how we have to mind ourselves Mm. so much constantly. I I think the stories that have come out and I think the, I think if Ashling knew, uh, God love her, if she knew how much, she had empowered people to speak up in the last week, you know? Yeah. And, and the, the learning for the rest of us is a huge awareness. Yeah, absolutely. But I hope that learning really translates into action now. I hope this is men listening to women. I hope it's the government actually listening. You know, I'm really frustrated at the tweets from <clears throat> from the government. And, you know, they, they're they in power. They can do a lot more than a tweet, you know, and that, that provision for a dedicated minister for domestic and gender-based sexual violence. That Refugees have been calling for that for years. Yeah. You know, they want someone who has specific power for it because it, tr- it touches everything. It's not just justice. It's healthcare. It's education it, it, there's so many aspects that domestic violence and murder and sexual violence actually touch so we need to have that and now they're saying oh yeah we'll do this and this is exactly like the image-based sexual abuse law that was four years in the making mm-hmm. you know that's first proposed in um 2017 and it wasn't viewed as a problem you know it was like you know these women are sending out nudes that's their own fault that was the general prevailing attitude and then once the discord server leaked happened that legislation was rushed through yeah. because they couldn't ignore it anymore and now the government is like you know they can't ignore it anymore but it's just such a shame it takes a woman's murder to be finally putting these things into place because there will be another Ashling, unfortunately you know there's over there's almost 250 women that have been murdered in Ireland by men since since 1996 since Women's Aid started their account and there will be more until we actually get to the kind of society which doesn't think this is okay. Yeah. And the fact that we have people Zoom bombing, vigils, yeah. masturbating, like, 
you were not there yet. That's that people think that that's an acceptable thing to do, unacceptable to give out to the people who hosted that vigil talking about it. It's no funny when, I, when I was listening to I was talking to Evie yesterday, who was the organizer of that oh, Evie, sorry. event, yeah. and others who were involved. Like I wasn't even involved in it. I wasn't even looking at it, and I the, the sense of physical revulsion and disgust that I felt. God Almighty, what must have been like for someone involved in it? Yeah, absolutely. And the frustration of can we not just have an hour off from this? Yes, you know, no, it is relentless. Good yeah. to talk to you, Caroline. And appreciate you. appreciate your contribution. That's Dr. Caroline West. She's a sex educator and the host of the Glow West podcast. And I certainly had never seen anything like this University of Alberta pyramid. And you know, look, people will say to you, if you pull them up on their behaviour, I meant absolutely no harm. You probably didn't. To be fair, you probably didn't. But, but you don't know the implications of what you say or what you do. 0818 Caller says, drink has a lot to do with this. You see a lovely fella, but put a few drinks in him and he's a different animal altogether. And it's even worse when there's a gang. And also, I've heard this around um, and I saw some stuff about this over the last couple of weeks. There's an increasing amount of aggressive begging in the city centre, says this call, particularly around the Grand Parade, uh, hassling people during dining outdoors. There needs to be boots on the ground. You read in the echo about more guards being recruited but it's still a tiny fraction of what we actually need. I'm telling you, one day soon, there will be a nasty assault. You should push this, get someone on the show to talk about it. We've been talking about that for a long, long time. And, you know, I I, I don't want your prediction to come true. But I have to say, I, I fear that someday it will soon. 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on Leaside. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. Ten years ago, audiences and critics alike were captivated by the story of the comeback of a failed amateur boxer. Rise Productions presents a special 10th anniversary performance of the Smash hit production Fight Night, which comes to the Everyman Theatre on January 20th. all areas. The Furies, renowned for their hit songs I Will Love You, When You Were Sweet 16 and the Greenfields of France, return to Cork Opera House on Sunday 20th of February with limited tickets still available from CorkOperaHouse.ie Access All Areas Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a show, play, exhibition or gig coming up or any live streaming events by emailing us here at aaa at 96fm.ie Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. Just managed to link in there. The, the stream is on for Ashling's uh, funeral. And we've managed to link into it. They're actually, that's a most poignant piece of music. Arvo Part is the composer of that. Spiegel, M. Spiegel. Uh, they're playing that on the live stream at the moment. Uh, with photographs of Ashling and the funeral service due to start at 11 o'clock we'll keep an eye to it and uh, we may dip in and out if there is say a homily or 
anybody speaking will 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 pop across to that to that uh, that funeral taking place in her native county awfully oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six let me go to this next one the Irish Hospital Consultants Association has called for urgent action from the government to tackle increasingly long waiting lists particularly at the CUMH. A 101% rise in outpatient waiting lists. This is an enormous rise. Martin Varley is Secretary General of the IHCA. Martin, good morning. Good morning, PJ. What is this rise down to? How has this occurred? I suppose by way of background first, and I'll come back to the increase in the specifics in CUMH, our public hospitals are at a critical crossroads at this stage. And it is really down to the fact that their capacities have been stretched and overstretched for years. And the pandemic has obviously added to it. And now we've got a big backlog of care. However, what I'd like to say, and this is what our consultants on the ground are saying and consultants in CUMH and CUH are saying, we have an opportunity to steer our way out of this crisis and towards a fit-for-purpose public hospital system based on properly resourced uh, capacities, etc. So that's hugely important to put that in context. This this is absolutely uh, as a result of the inadequate capacity we had day one, even prior to COVID, and COVID has obviously added to those problems. Now, to go back to CUMH, and in particular the waiting list figures and the increases we've seen, um, CUMH uh, had done an excellent job in reducing the waiting list prior to COVID. Uh, A few years prior to it, there were 5,000 patients waiting. They brought it all the way back down to about 1,000, which was only a short number of weeks of waiting, and that has doubled back up again. Why? They did what they did through excellent work by consultants on the ground and the leadership of the master of the hospital in conjunction with all the management. But it was in a stretched situation, and obviously sustaining it was always going to be difficult and obviously impossible in the context of COVID. So we're in the situation now whereby we look at the stats every month coming out of the National Treatment Purchase Fund. We look at the stats and we do the percentages. And as it happens on this occasion, CUMH comes out with a doubling. Mm. Uh, it looks much worse than it is in reality. Yeah, I was about correct, to ask you that. It, it's a very strong headline. Um, it is, it is. But it, it, again, term, it, wait, waiting times are what we would probably ask as a follow-on question. Yeah, and I've been checking that, and I understand the waiting times are probably something of the order, I can stand corrected on this, of the order of eight weeks. I'm um, oh, sorry, maybe 16 weeks. And if you were down to 1,000, to be about eight weeks. Uh, so the target would be to bring it down to a thousand i understand so what can be done about it uh, i think it's still pointing up a problem let's not lose sight of it like as i would say the excellent work that was done prior to covid by the cork university maternity hospital was done through a lot of very effective work uh, but you you would have to question well was it sustainable or was it something that was that was done through through Trojan work, let's put it that way. And what's needed now, I understand, is an expansion of the capacity 
in CUMH. They're both in terms of outpatient clinic capacity, but also I understand the number of consultant obstetricians, gynecologists, mm. is low by any international standards, and there are ongoing difficulties in filling permanent posts, not just in CUMH in the mm. southwest, but nationally. Well, this is across so, the system, isn't it? I mean, there are dozens and dozens of posts unfilled, you know? I think it, you and I may are, have discussed it, this before about the contract row and all that. Yeah, and, you know, it's something we need to resolve with the government, and uh, we have good engagement with the government of the day, I must say, and we are in contract negotiations. They need to pick up a little bit more as we go forward now. There was a bit of a uh, a slow off during the Christmas from that new year for obvious reasons, and we need to appoint a new chair mm. to those negotiations. But the IHCA and our colleagues in the IMO and our consultants are absolutely committed to trying to come up with a contract that will ensure we can attract back our highly trained specialists that we badly need, mm-hmm. that we train within Ireland, but unfortunately some of the government policy discriminating against new instant consultants mm. is driving them abroad. So we need to resolve that matter. It's going on for over 12 years. It's gone on too long, let's put it that way. There, there is that discussion ongoing, which I suppose is between yourselves and government and HSE and all those particular stakeholders. But the worry, I suppose, as the waiting list is as long as 16 weeks now, I think the patient's worry is something will be missed. Yeah, and that, that's a worry in particular in gynecology. It's a worry in anything that has any potential risk of cancer being missed. It's also a worry even if it's not in that situation where patients are left in pain and in suffering. And when I'm commenting, it would be amiss of me not to comment on uh, Cork University Hospital. Its waiting list figures have gone up by 7,000. That's an increase of 24%. It's a smaller percentage, but it's a much bigger number. And that's, again, because of capacity problems in the hospital, including space and the no number of consultants. And, you know, CUH is a major cancer centre. Mm. And it has been stretched year after year. I know from talking to consultants underground, the difficulties they have, not just during the winter period, with appointments being cancelled because of insufficient acute hospital beds, insufficient care facilities, insufficient diagnostic and other facilities and relatively low number of consultants. All of those things, we, we do need to work with government, work with management in the hospitals to actually expand our capacity. Now is the time to do it. Uh, as I was saying at the outset, uh, we are really at a crossroads now. Uh, we're at a crossroads because we already always have had these capacity deficits, but the backlog of care that has arisen the last two years is making a fairly impossible situation absolutely impossible unless we address it. So now is the time to address it and look at our capacity deficits. What do we need in Cork? We need more acute hospital capacity. There's talk, obviously, of an elective hospital. That's very important, and we support that strongly. Mm. How quickly can it be done? How effective can be? Therein lies a huge problem, Martin, isn't it? The huge problem is the wheels of these things move so incredibly slowly at a glacial pace and we, and we need them much faster than they seem like they'll be provided. Uh, thanks for having, or thanks for being with us rather, on the programme. Uh, Martin Varley, Secretary General of the Irish Hospital Consultants Association. That doubling of the waiting list at CUMH is at pains to point out, not as awful as it looks, but still not acceptable.
it, it was 5,000 and odd. It was down to 1,000 and now back up to about 2,000 people. So it's a doubling of the waiting list, but in case anyone's getting overtly scared, it isn't as bad as it sounds, but it's still not good enough. Thanks, Martin. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie what you mean? Got my eyes on a prize, that's me. Manchester City are the champions. Number one, that's up for the league. The best football league in the world is right here. Firmino with the flick. Salah! Fernandez, he's going to go for goal. Whoa, what a goal. The Premier League Live, powered by Top Sport. Join me, Trevor Welch, exclusively online at 96fm.ie. Tune in Saturdays as we ramp up the excitement for the day's biggest games. We'll bring you pre-match analysis, live commentary and in-depth interviews with some legends of the sport. The Premier League Live With Now Join in the experience with a Now Sports or Sports Extra membership Listen every Saturday exclusively online at 96fm.ie or download the Cork's 96fm app The lines are live And we're ready to talk Can we just talk? Call 0818-969696. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Just monitoring that stream from the church. Uh, where the funeral mass is about to begin doesn't seem to have started yet. The video certainly hasn't come up yet. That's just the audio stream from the church. Funeral service of Ashley Murphy beginning very, very shortly. And we'll keep uh, an eye to it uh, throughout the hour ahead of us. And we'll see. We may be an opportunity to, to drop in on it if there's anything uh, being said, I suppose, that we might be welcome to listen to. Anyone could stream it uh, online, but we'll just keep an eye to it there for the next hour or so. Uh, on that conversation before 11. I disagree with that message that drink has a lot to do with assault. If it's in a man to abuse a woman, whether physical, mental, emotional or sexual, it's in them. Saying drink has a lot to do with it is taking responsibility off the man. It is a fact, though. We've all known them. We all know people who wouldn't harm a fly until they get drink into them. It's It's a fact. Yes, they would harm a fly. I suppose it's in their nature, but drink is their trigger. I think that's what the original message was saying. This rather depressing message. I don't think anything will change after the murder of Ashley Murphy. The same thing happened after Sarah Everard's murder in the UK. And since her death, 81 women have been murdered. Since Sarah Everard? 81? My God, that's shocking. 0818-969696. Then Michael sent an email. He sent it to us and he's sent it to all of the newspapers, possibly be published, I, I don't know. But he said, Dear Editor, on 12th of January 2022, 23-year-old Ashling Murphy went for a run at 4 o'clock. During that run, she was murdered. This murder has provoked shock, horror and outrage among the population. Many are asking what can be done to prevent the apparent culture of violence against women. Perhaps one area is to review the treatment of women appearing as victims of crime in our court system. 
many considered their treatment in the courts to be questionable. In one case, a barrister, a female barrister, implied that the underwear being worn by the alleged victim of rape might be considered an invitation to rape. Enough is enough. Proper standards must be set even in our courts and the rights of women must be protected and respected. And that's from Michael Moriarty in Rochestown. I remember that story because we covered it at length here on the opinion line uh, where uh, that, that particular story regarding the underwear the person was wearing and the fact that the barrister was female. That, that shocked people even more. The barrister was just doing their job, but it certainly shocked people very much. As I say, we're monitoring uh, that service uh, and if anything of interest comes up that we... There you go, there's still... I imagine the church is probably packed or as packed as it's allowed to be under the restrictions that we have presently and huge crowds outside. But at the moment, just some solemn music from inside the church. If you want to find the video and watch it for yourself, Memorial Lane... Memorial Lane, just Google it Memorial Lane, Ashling Murphy and you'll be able to find it and watch it wherever you are right now Sitting in the front row of the church or close to the front row of the church is President and Mrs Higgins who were attending uh, today's service. As I say, if there's anything f- coming from it we let you know. First of all, I want to go to Dan. Dan, good morning Good morning. You're a taxi driver Dan <laughs> I'd like to highlight the dangers of the road that a lot of people are not aware of. Okay. I'm a professional truck and taxi driver for the last 42 years, accident-free. Yes. And I think I'm after learning the right to speak about safety on the road. Okay, okay. I'm a nighttime taxi driver. I am absolutely amazed. Oh, does not somebody kill off a pushbike thing yeah. I just don't know how they're getting away with it. Yeah. No lights, no helmets, dressed in black. Like, I'm a cyclist myself by day. Mm. I don't go by night. If I have anything to do in town, I will cycle in. Yeah. I have a high-vis jacket, lights, helmet, camera on the helmet. Like, I'm like a Christmas tree. You'll, you'll see me. Like, the, the RSA are giving out free high-vis jackets. Yeah. With the littles, you'll buy yourself front and back like for 10 euros. Yeah. What, what is the matter with these people? Mm. I just I can't, I can't understand it for the least. Eh? Yeah. Safety first, yeah. with the streets of Cork, how bad they are. And the bad weather doesn't deter these fellas. Yeah, yeah. It's just absolute bugging. These are people cycling around at night, as you say, dressed in black, no lights on the bike, no high-vis jackets, just going about their business as if it was the bright of day. And, and what about the fellas on the scooters then, Dan? Are there, there's plenty of them around too. There's plenty of them around too. I'm talking about everything that's not, that doesn't have lights. Most modern cars today are fitted with lights that you cannot turn off. They're that's on right. by day. That's right, that's right, yeah. It's amazing how many unintelligent people are out there. I'm absolutely uh, astonished at it. How they're getting away with not being killed. Yeah. I, I, I just... It's nothing about it. No. There was another radio program I was listening to last week. And a guy came up with a brilliant suggestion. Have the guardie take the bikes off if they're not lit up properly. 
give them an 80 euro fine when they come back to get the bike and hand out a free high-vis jacket and front and back lights. Yes. Put a stop to that gallop very fast. Should indeed. Should well, indeed. I, I, just want, I just wanted to highlight this because if it only saved one dickhead... Easy, 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 easy. <laughs> I know, I know how you feel about Guizzi, yeah, man. Yeah. If it is unfortunate enough to have an accident, that is the end of his taxi career, because if he lived inside the car, he wouldn't have the whole insurance with the price of it. Yeah, yeah. You know? And I think it's very unfair for these guys. No respect for anybody else on the road. No respect for themselves and their safety. So I'm delighted to get on the radio just to highlight this because if we just save one accident and one life, well, it'd be worse. These are your observations driving for a living by night. You're seeing lots of cyclists with no lights, no highways, no nothing. Even if they are observing the rules of the road and even if they are sticking to their, their cycle lanes, they, they need to take care in doing so. If they want to drive around by day with no lights, no highways, that's fine by me. It's by night where you can't see. If I had another coat of paint in my car, I'd be able to kill a dozen people. I came so close to these. Oh my God, I, I don't want to be saying the walls on the other yeah, All right, you're grand, you're grand. I understand. I understand where you're coming from. I think a lot of people might agree with you, Dan. Thank you very much. That's Dan. He's a taxi driver. He's bemoaning the fact, as he sees it, that cyclists and users of scooters... Listen, to many the cyclists... The scooters, I dread those blasted scooters. I really do. They look like great fun to ride if you take your life in your hands standing up on them. But I dread them because they will come. At least a bike is moving at somewhere you can predict where a bike is going to go. But you know where's a nightmare for the scooters? An absolute nightmare. I drive down there every morning. Is just down there by Paddy the Farmer's Pub across the road from St. John's College, I come down to the bottom of the hill there every morning, and even if the light is green, I'm inclined to slow down and stop. And i tell you why. Because you really don't know the minute that some gull on a scooter is going to shoot out in front of you. If you're on scooters, would you be careful for pity's sake? So, I don't know whether you agree with Dan or not. I think some of the cyclists might be a bit outraged. There are those out there with a certain sense of entitlement where they feel they can go around all day and all night and not light up or nothing. They're the ones that Dan is hitting out at. Your thoughts welcome at 0818 96 96 96. Just that mass is underway in, uh, in County Offaly. There's President Higgins and his wife, Sabina. Uh, I believe I can see being introduced to Ashling's family now in the church and there are a number of other, of other ministers I've seen at the mass I believe I saw Norma Foley Minister for Education of course Ashley being a teacher there's Sabina Higgins that looks like that's a most emotional moment there's Sabina Higgins and what looks like I think I take it to be Ashley's dad or close relative at least and she just threw her arms around the man and gave him a hug uh, yeah restrictions or no she did uh, we'll just watch it on video there and uh, keep an eye to it. D- does anyone agree with Dan? Like, we were talking earlier about making the city safer for cyclists. But do cyclists need to take more precautions to protect themselves and protect 
the rest of us. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. We're back to the music. The Quartz 96FM music panel gives you the power to pick our playlist. Click 96FM.ie now. 96FM.ie now. Take the 10-minute survey and you could win a 100 euro Just Eat voucher. The power to pick what we play. Pick what we play. Let's get down, let's get down to business. Join the Quartz 96FM music panel. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Or see 96FM.ie. Quartz 96FM. I was watching the funeral service here uh, just on a screen as I talk to you. Some incredible human emotion going on in that church at the moment. At the moment they're bringing up some gifts and some things to display on the altar relating to Ashton's life. But just before that happened, um, Sabina and President Higgins went along met all the members of the family. Mrs Higgins embraced every member of the family like they were one of her own. It was very emotional to watch. And then Taoiseach, Taoiseach Michal Martin came up and he met every single member of the family and had long conversation, almost, well, relatively long conversation with them. It's just moments of raw humanity in the church at the moment, and we'll, we'll, we'll monitor it for you. 0818 96 96 96. On a brighter and happier note, they're telling us that 2022 is to be a great year for space and science and exploration. And there are projects out there now into 2022 looking to the next generation of space technology and the next generation of space exploration. Joined by Francis McCarthy of the Blackrock Castle Observatory. Uh, Francis, good morning. Good morning. A very, and I know there's a very sad event taking place in the background and we're keeping an eye to it, but for, mm. for 2022, the <clears throat> amount of excitement in space exploration, it's almost hard to contain, isn't it? Well... It's interesting because what it is, is it's not just the big players. It's not, it is them, but it's not just them. So it's not just your big multinational or your big national space agencies like NASA and ESA in Europe. It's not just them doing spacey stuff. There's space available for you and me. Now, it comes with a price, but there's some really, really cool things going on. Now, for the big, the big headline is Artemis. All right. So Artemis, um, the Apollo missions took humans to the moon. Artemis is another Greek god. All right. She is the name that's attached to the current intention to send humans back to the moon. Yeah. Now, this is a good question to ask people. When did people last go to the moon? You ask a bunch of people, that, yeah. what, will they, what do people say? I ask children this all the time. And they go, um, 2000 and something. And you go, no, no, earlier. And they go, 1990 something. And you go, earlier. 1980 something. Earlier. The last humans who went, the last humans who went and stomped around on the moon was the early 1970s. 50 years we ago. We landed every, yeah. So we all had the anniversary of the first moon landing. That's 1969. They only went for a couple of years. There was Apollo 11, Apollo 12, Apollo 13 ended up in trouble. And then there was 14 and 15, and they, they cancelled the last two. 17 and 18 never ran. I think 16 ran. So the, the humans haven't been. Spacecraft have been. 
orbiting the moon, taking pictures of the moon. Landers have landed on the moon. There's even a rover on the moon driving around the back of the moon. Have you got all excited about that, the Chinese rover that found the big block? Yes. I, I, I set a friend into a tizzy with that over Christmas, the mm. Chinese rover on the moon and the block. But they actually drove up to it two weeks ago, and it's a rock. It's just a boulder. But it was really exciting yeah. that it might have been you know, a monolith, but it wasn't a monolith. So the intention is the Artemis mission will do its test run of an uncrewed, unstaffed, no astronauts on board, sending a mission to the moon and around the moon. And they're hoping, if the dress rehearsal goes well, to do it in March. If the dress rehearsal doesn't go well, it might be April. If the dress mm. rehearsal really doesn't go well, it might be the summer. So there's no definite date for that. But mm. the intention is definitely this year. Why, sorry, why did and, we stop going? I mean, nearly 50 years ago. Why, well, why, yeah. at the time that the last few Apollo missions were running, the contracts had already been signed to develop the space shuttle. And you remember the space shuttle? It launched in the 80s, up like a rocket, down like a plane. Mm. And it was designed to be reusable, frequent use to make going to space like getting a plane. Mm -hmm. That you want to go to space, no problem. We have a vehicle to take you to space. And it did a lot of launches of satellites. It did a lot of the construction of the International Space Station, which is now 22 years of having humans on board. Cranky. So the focus became not the distant in space terms, moon, which is actually pretty close, but the immediate near-Earth environment. So let's put something in orbit around our planet that can help us to look at our planet, to understand our planet, to do communications, to do all that good stuff mm -hmm. that satellites do. Yeah. Talking good stuff for satellites. Did you see the volcano eruption? I did. From I did. space. The pictures, <gasps> I, did. I did. Scary, actually. Unbelievable. But... If we didn't have that orbiting satellite looking down at our planet, telling us what's going on, well, we would have detected it anyways when the water rushed in and the sound wave was detected and the noise was heard. Yeah. Well, no, but what, we what have that amazing us, image. There probably was. I, I don't yeah. think ever, and having watched that image, there was no yeah. other way, I think, to capture for us the sheer... The power. immensity of it, the power of that eruption. Mm. Unbelievable, unbelievable. I saw it when it happened. I saw the, you know, the, the shared footage. It went, whoa, wow. Yeah, yeah. And that's, and then we're also able to go now to satellite images to say, who needs help? Yes. You know, you get wiped out by a tidal wave. A satellite is going to be going over you, taking a picture, and someone's going to come help you. So you. it does disaster relief and all sorts of good stuff. Yeah, of course, in the 50 years since we first went to the moon and then stopped going, another interesting statistic, we've never, a woman has never set foot on the moon. I know. And there was thoughts of that in 2024, is that right? 2024, 2025. I think probably it'll be 2025 by the time they actually do get the landing because they're doing Artemis 1 uncrewed around the moon and then Artemis 2 crewed and go round and make sure you can do that bit and then do the lunar landing. But the intention is a woman will be amongst that next generation of lunar explorers because all the men were all American, all white, all male.
in the 60s, mm. you know, when the time was that to be an astronaut, you generally had come from a military background, from a flight background. So it's a reflection of the time. Yeah. But Europe are sending a female astronaut to space in the next couple of months. Samantha Cristoforetti is going back up to the space station and she'll be the commander of it by the end of the year. Excellent. Something else that some other, another man who is going to the moon and his, well, his ashes yes. are to be scattered on I know this, the greatest I science think, fiction writer of them all, the great Arthur C. Clarke. His ashes are I think this is one of the maddest, maddest things. But if you have the ashes of a loved one that you wanted to yeah. send a section of it to the moon, you can do that. Yes. There is a private company that is going to the moon at the end of this year. It's going and they are taking a payload of items that people can, you know, pay money and include one of your items as part of the payload. Yes. Now, I don't know if you think that's a reasonable thing to do. The, the, the amounts are tiny, 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 tiny things. Tell me how much it costs mission, to send something. Um, it is kind of $5,000 for a very small thing, uh, $20,000 for a somewhat bigger thing. But all of these are tiny, tiny, tiny because the entire payload is only about 90 kilograms and it's taking a rover and it's taking experiments. So we're talking milligrams, tiny little, you know, a petal from your um, wedding bouquet. Yeah. And the, know, the ashes of Arthur C. Clarke will be among that payload. And it's section of the ashes it's not all of them it's just a few a little bit a, a little section of it wow. but I think you know, it's I'm actually I, I like it because it's funding it mm. from people who are choosing to fund it it's a tiny thing and the money is going in towards something okay I'm you know people have spare 5,000 and want to spend it on that Knock yourself out. Why not? There's another. Actually, there's an event which I don't. I don't think we'll see it with the naked eye. We'll see it with a, a, a good telescope tonight. This is this asteroid, which will safely yeah. pass the okay. Earth. There but is. There's a dart as well. Kind of a test. full moon. Yeah. Yeah. There's a full moon tonight, so it'll be tricky enough to see this asteroid. So this this asteroid that's whizzing by has has the exciting exciting name of. 1994, which is when it was discovered. <laughs> it really is. Okay, it's it's a ridiculous asteroid. It is about a kilometer across. Okay, that's reasonable enough. So PC1, 1994, but it's going to be five times further away than the moon is. So at that distance, it's tiny, it's small, it's far away. But it's considered a potentially hazardous asteroid. And what if it was coming closer? What would we do? So the, this is where the test mission is to check what might we do. Yeah. So there's a spacecraft on its way now to another asteroid pair. And it's going to land on the little moon of this asteroid pair, the smaller asteroid that's going around the bigger asteroid, and nudge it yeah. by a tiny, 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 tiny amount. Yeah, and but enough, enough that we can measure a change in its speed around its parent astro yeah. asteroid that it's going around. So it's, isn't that the maddest thing you've it's, ever it's heard? It is. It is crazy. Tell 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 me finally, Francis, about this. And I yes. watched because it happened on Christmas Day. I watched it a couple of days afterwards on on YouTube. Oh. The launch of this James Webb telescope like this thing was is this stuff never envisaged before correct yes this this telescope is 
um, people say it's the successor to the Hubble Space Telescope. It adds to what Hubble was able to see. So Hubble got launched in the space shuttle, you know, years ago. It's been in space looking at incredibly distant objects, fabulously able to see them. James Webb has been designed to do a little different job. It's going to look for infrared lights. It's going to look for the heat. And the advantage of that is infrared can travel through dust and be detected. So we'll see things that we've never seen before because they're not visible to make visible eyeballs. Okay, This is not a visible telescope. It's an infrared looking for heat. And heat goes through stuff better. Then we'll be able to detect further away things, things that have been obscured because of what's loosely called dust, just the remnants of stuff that fills the space between the stars and stops the light coming to us. So we'll be able to see further away. Now, it's James Webb is still getting to its final location. Mm. Um, its final location is is, you know, kind of a million kilometers out there. So it's it's got a little bit of distance to go. It'll be it'll be doing an orbital burn, and well, not an orbital burn. It's not in orbit. It'll be doing a burn. It'll be doing a little rocket push to get it there mm. uh, at the end of this week, and it's unfolded properly, which is good because to fit it in the spacecraft, it had to get folded up. <laughs> so not only have we got this amazing telescope, we folded it and launched it into space and it unfolded and it's traveling out to its final location out beyond the earth away from the sun it'll have a sun shield to stop the sunlight affecting the telescope and it will stare off into the blackness and what's absolutely fascinating francis is it will almost have the ability to look back in time well everything has the ability to look back in time think think about ireland A couple of hundred years ago, when you left Ireland, how did you keep in contact with your family? You sent a letter and it might take months to make it. So you only ever knew about what your family were doing abroad months after it happened. It's the same with light. The light from out there in space takes time to get to us. So we only ever know what we're seeing when the light arrives. And it doesn't take months to get to us. Some of this light takes billions of years. So we're seeing it as it was when it left the object. And that object, it might be a distant galaxy, has now changed and evolved and become quite different. But we never see that unless we wait another 10 billion years for the light that's on it now to get to us. And because the universe is expanding, it'll actually be 40 billion years before that light gets to us. We really are, when you think about it, Francis, an an irrelevant little speck in the middle of it all. We are completely relevant because we are humans and we're looking with our eyes and our brains and our thinking. We are observing and understanding this universe. That's absolutely our place in it. Can I ask you? Nothing irrelevant about that. Yeah, but when you when you describe the vastness of it all, and and mm. people like like yourself and and Leo Enright and others describe the sheer vastness, we can't possibly be alone, can we? We, I don't think we're alone. I don't think we're alone. I think space is so big. There's so many galaxies with so many stars that life out there is highly likely. I'd be happier if we discovered it in our solar system. So the stuff that's going to Mars this year is 
all about looking for signs of life. I'd be happier and more confident about life out there if we found life in our solar system. And then I'd be saying, look, two places in one little solar system, both with life. Yay. Life is very, very likely. However, our universe has been around for 13 billion years. So maybe a billion years ago, there was life on another planet. Well, we weren't actually in much of a state to say, oh, great. Hi, how you doing? <laughs> a billion years ago. And if we say, hi, how you doing to somebody else? Well, what if they get that signal in a million years? Yeah. It's not going to help us. So I believe there's life out there. I also don't think it's here. <laughs> I don't hold with the aliens. It is, it is always... <laughs> Coming. It is always great. It is always great to chat with you and to indulge in the sheer enjoyability of of the science of what's out there and what might be up there for us to yes. see one day. Jer- yes. Francis, thank you very much, Francis McCarthy from Blackrock Castle Observatory. Jerry says, "Watch the movie Don't Look Up on Netflix. It's about an asteroid hurtling towards Earth. A great cast and very funny." Yes, I, I'm not so sure about the very funny bit. Some people are taking it as a comedy. Some people are taking it as a statement. Uh, I watched another one um, as well on Disney. The name of it's gone out of my head now, but it's um, <laughs> kind of a very funny movie set in the future. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. The funeral mass underway in County Offaly. I'm sure the newsrooms of the land. We'll cover it in more detail than, than we can, just keeping an eye to it on the screens. On cycling and Dan's call, Bernie says, something has to be done about cyclists on pavements. I understand decent cyclists have their own safety concerns and good luck to them, but the answer is not going on the pavement. It's very dangerous. We need enforcement on that. Yes, he sees them, says this listener, Dan. Dan would do well to notice all the cars not having high vis. And driving with no lights, many are his own colleagues. I don't see that many cars going around now with no lights on, to be honest with you, listener. Jerry says, I generally wear a high-vis jacket when I'm out running at night. Jason says, on the electric scooters, you just don't see them until they're 10 feet in front of you. Uh, Brian says, yeah, we need better lighting and more segregated lanes. Good man, Dan. Uh, I totally agree with Dan. I'm a cyclist myself. I light, have a light. I wear a high-vis vest and lights. It should be the law. And a helmet as well. And on bus lanes, uh, the worst bike lane, or bike lane rather, is right outside the courthouse. There should be some temporary bollards. People and bikes are both at fault. People walk on the bike lane without due care. And the bike's then going very fast on it. And Tom... In general, it says, while some improvements have been made to infrastructure, we need more. Driver attitudes toward people on bikes remains a huge issue. This is coming from someone who regularly transports a child by bike. It can be scary at times. I'd have to say, though, with regard to Dan, people are piling in on Dan because he suggests that someone going out on a bike at night, he suggests they should have a helmet, he suggests they should wear a high-vis jacket, and he suggests they should have lights in the front and back of their bike. And uh, you'd swear, you'd swear that he'd, he'd called for something radical. Oh, wait, one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. 
Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. New Katy Perry, Adele, Ed Sheeran, Dua Lipa, they're all in there today. And how about €100 Euro to spend on Just Eat? I'll tell you how you can win. Today from 12 on Cork's 96FM. I really enjoy going to school and meeting my friends. I want everyone in my class to stay well. If I have any symptoms or if I am advised to restrict movements, I know I shouldn't come to school because we all play a part in keeping everyone well. It's important that everyone follows public health advice to keep everyone well at home and in school. Remember, if your child has any symptoms, please keep them home and get a COVID-19 test. This January, this is the only test that matters. Brought to you by the Government of Ireland. Lift your beauty to new heights. Introducing new Revitalizing Supreme Plus Youth Power Cream by Estee Lauder. Have it all firmness, radiance and a new, more lifted look. 87% of women said skin feels more plump instantly. Now with new 99% naturally derived Hibiscus Morning Bloom Extract. Pair with Advanced Night Repair Serum to reduce the appearance of multiple signs of aging and for firmer, radiant, healthy-looking skin. Available at Brown Thomas, Arnett's and BT2. 19 million euro. It's been won. Finally. Ireland's biggest ever lotto jackpot. Talk about a happy new year. The National Lottery. It could be you. Play responsibly. Play for fun. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Quartz 96 FM. Yeah, Meg says was driving on Cars Hill last week. About 6.30 in the morning to collect himself and came upon a cyclist in complete darkness. Lucky I was on the ball and spotted him. Still got an awful fright. Thanks for talking about cycling. I live in a household of cyclists. We're in Carrigaline. It would be great if we had our own separate path into town like Ballincollig has. Which, yeah, and I see a lot of places up the north on my holidays last year and a lot of little small towns have a cycle lane running right through them. Little villages. Little villages. You pick up on the outside of the village, maybe a quarter of a mile outside the village, you pick up on the cycle lane and it goes right through the middle of the village and out the other side. And it's commonplace. Very commonplace. The place in particular that I recall is a village called Brishan, which is uh, quite a small place. And it's got cycling lanes right through it. And the reason I spotted it was in the course of our holiday, we were driving through Brishan practically every day. 0818-969696. It is uh, only a few weeks away to Valentine's Day. It's less than a month to Valentine's Day, February 14th. So maybe it's time to start thinking about, you know, getting yourself sorted for the old Valentine like. <laughs> and there's a bit of work in that. Sharon Kenny, been on the programme with us many times, matchmaker Sharon. Hi Sharon, good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good and good to speak with you again. It, it is time to start getting yourself in order if you if you plan to meet someone in time or around Valentine's Day. So how do you start? 
Well, you have to get in the right frame of mind first. You know, you have to feel that you are the best you you're taking to the table. You have to realize that if you don't make that change, nothing is going to happen. Like people say, oh, you know, law of attraction, the person will come when the person is meant to come. But you know what? If you're not getting out there, the person could come to the local shop and you could miss that person at the local shop because you're not even going down to the local shop. Yeah. It is about getting out there, PJ, as you know it. So people are getting very complacent when going online and just ticking right and left on, on dating apps. And they're not getting out there. If you're on the dating apps, you have to go and meet that person or else it's not going to happen. If you're not on the dating apps, you know, I'm doing this 21 days dating course through the matchmaker.ie and I'm teaching people how to get rid of FODA. And FODA is the latest thing out there, which is fear of dating again. Uh-huh. It's okay. all down okay. to. I never yes. heard I never heard that. I heard of FOMO, fear of missing out, but FODA is the new one, fear of dating again. Okay. Fear of dating again. And people, just because they haven't been out there, it's like getting into that habit of doing things again. If you're not out there and not doing it, you kind of go, oh, I'm not feeling like I look well enough. I put on weight over Christmas. I'm not feeling up to meeting someone. I can't be bothered going for a walk date. I can't be. Get out of that headspace and say, I want love to come my way. And you can't even go from it. Even when you want it, Mm. really really want love it doesn't work because that if you're coming from a place where you really really want you're actually lacking because I really really want that doesn't that sound needy yes it does actually yes run away from you yeah it is it's so needy but if you say I have that and what it means is I have it you feel fulfilled so saying I, I want it is coming from lack, but saying I have it is coming from being fulfilled. So what you have is you have the best you coming to the table, that best authentic you attract that like-minded person. But if you come from, I really, really feel that I'm going to meet this brilliant guy or this brilliant girl, you yeah. won't meet them because it's lack. You're, you're talking, you're, you've got to talk yourself into being available. You have to talk yourself being the best you can be and feel that I am enough and I really do love myself because over this time, people judge themselves more than anyone else does. They say, do you know what? I'm not feeling I have this to offer. I'm not feeling I have that to offer. They have to say, do you know, I am who I am. I'm happy. I I start walking 10 minutes a day. It doesn't matter, 15 minutes a day. I started getting, yeah, I start getting that energetic buzz. There's the odd drop out on the line, so we'll we'll, we'll battle on as best we can. You say chasing makes them run. Chasing makes them run a mile. So that's like going to a date and you think, I really, really want this girl or I really, really want that guy. And, oh, I can't wait to see you again. When am I going to see you again? This is fabulous. We are perfect together. We are. What would that do to the other? 
Mm. That would make the other person run a mile. So that's that wanting too much rather than having it. So mm. that's where the having comes in and the having like, I feel happy in my own skin. It's all about connection and we're all scared of rejection. That's mm. what we're scared of. It's not what I think of you. It's not what you think of me. It's what I think you think of me. That's what it all goes back to our mm. own insecurities. And we have to step away from our own insecurities and say, and you know, and that line is just it's dropping myself. a little bit. I'm going to own the hero in myself. I'm going to own. It's dropping a bit. Can can you bring? Okay, la, can la, you hear la, me? La, uh, yeah, we'll 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 work with it for one more minute. Can you draw love to you, Sharon? You can absolutely draw love to you by having the right attitude, and it's all part of having you the hero or the villain and accepting both parts of those personalities within you we're not angels here you know accepting the saint and the sinner in you okay gonna leave it there because sharon kenny matchmaker.ie is the website that line is dropping in and out so we'll get that we get the gist it's just under a month to valentine's day you have to make it happen for you if you look too needy they'll run a mile chasing them makes them run away just she has all of the details on her website, matchmaker.ie. Sharon Kenny, thanks for that. 0818 96 96 96. Uh, thank you. This is, I mentioned the, the very emotional scenes at the start of Ashley Murphy's funeral where the president and uh, Sabina Higgins went to the family and went to her boyfriend, Ryan, and hugs were everywhere. It was just in a time when we're kind of discouraged from it to see our president and, and his wife hugging a bereft family. There was something beautifully human about it. This message comes in. Thank God for our president and his lovely wife, Sabina. I'm glad I'm Irish for the first day since last Wednesday. His time and hugs with the Murphy family and with Ryan will stay with me forever. Such an outpouring of love from such a small gentleman and a lady is worth watching again and again. Thanks, Michael. And to you, Sabina, for melting the iceberg within me. That's been there since last Wednesday. That's a nice... Nice message indeed. Reminder to you, if you've got a new smartphone or tablet for Christmas, there's an app you need to get. And it means you can listen to us anywhere you like, anywhere in the world. And that is the Corks 96 FM app. Download the app and listen to your favourite shows on the go. And if you have a smart speaker, if you've got a smart speaker from Santee, no matter what it is, then you just ask it to play Corks 96 FM. The line went on us, but I know that you wanted to come back for a moment, Sharon, if we can. Matchmake for Child Line, you wanted to tell listeners about that before we let you go. Yes, this is a very unusual thing. They approached me, I actually know the person involved, and asked me would I do something like... Uh, it's all about vulnerability and children being able to open up. Um, and a lot of single parents out there um, are finding it very tough. So someone said, you know, would you put yourself as a vulnerable person in that situation? Because I'm actually recently single. So it's called Matchmake the Matchmaker. It's going to be launched now um, next week. But what it is, is it's about people matchmaking me. So they might say, I have someone who might suit the matchmaker. And it's, it's about that kind of approach. So we're starting that next week. So it's Matchmake the Matchmaker, and it's going to be um, through Facebook and through other forms as well. 
So again, it's about getting rid of that photo, fear of dating again. And through TikTok and other forms, we're going to be giving people advice on what's out there, the traumas I go through on the dates, the traumas I go through, uh, the happy things I go through on the dates, just how to deal with dating in a positive way. And people can find that just by going matchmake for Childline. Uh, matchmake the matchmaker um, on uh, the matchmaker.ie. All right. Okay. Thanks for that, Sharon. Good luck. Good luck with it. Thank you very much. Cheers. John says on cyclists, it doesn't matter what people say. Eventually, if cycling is really going to take off, there'll have to be a points and license system. Modern bikes are not the clunkers that our laws are designed around. You have to grasp the nettle. Good cyclists, and there are many, have nothing to fear, just like good motorists have nothing to fear from a system like that. And one last message on the whole violence thing. I don't know if it's come up come up yet, but the solution to a lot of this is a DNA database. We've missed out on so many opportunities with the heel prick test and now COVID testing to build a database. But then a lot of the warriors marching for women this week would also march next week if their civil rights were being imposed upon by DNA testing. We need to research that and have a national DNA database, which is a whole thinking point with which to end the show. I know, I'm sneaky like that. I do it sometimes. The programme, the funeral is still going on in County Offaly, and I'm sure the news desks of the country will cover it in better detail than we can. The programme edited by Fiona Corcoran, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. See you tomorrow, just after nine. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie Tell us some good news, Kev, please. Good news is I'm back at work. Yeah, I work for the government. Actually, the government, is it? I look, I'll have to make you disappear if I tell you. You're a magician. (laughs) (laughs) Just like the boys in the government. Vanish when you need them, that kind of thing. And listen, the government couldn't even make voting machines disappear, never mind us. (laughs) (laughs) That that was an awkward laugh. He's like, I shouldn't be laughing at that. (laughs) That was my decision. (laughs) Casey and Ross in the morning with no DC cars. Blackpool for Skoda in the city now taking orders for 221 and always open 24-7 at noldc.com 96 Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.